you do, open them uh, to John chapter 3. This morning we're going to talk about life's most important question. Life's most important question. Now, I've already mentioned this earlier, but I love asking questions. I uh, may have noticed that in the pre-meeting. There are a lot of questions in there. I, I found questions to be very helpful. Uh, about drove my parents crazy asking questions. I wasn't trying to be a pain, although my little sister may have a different opinion of that. But I was just a very inquisitive uh, young fella. You know, asking questions can be a good thing, can't they? But we do need to remember that not all answers are created equal. In fact, some of them are wrong. I found that out on many a test uh, growing up. And, and by the way, not all questions are as important as others. In fact, some questions aren't even designed to be answered. Parents, sometimes we're kind of bad about asking those kinds of questions, aren't we? Like, for instance, uh, who do you think I am? Uh, first of all, why in the world we would ask a child that question, uh, I don't understand. Uh, man, you're just asking for trouble. Or this one, do I really look that dumb? Now, young people, I want to encourage you, don't fall for the trap, okay? They're setting you up. Don't answer. Just go ahead and keep, uh, keep your opinion to yourself. It's much, much safer. Well, I have found that the importance of a question many times uh, is determined by the consequence of the answer. The importance of a question can be determined by the consequence of the answer. Uh, for example, do you want fries with that? That's nowhere near as important as question as do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, right? One of those questions is much more important uh, because of the consequence that question carries. So life's most important question would have to be the one with the greatest consequence, right? It's the one that will determine your eternal destination. Bow your heads with me and let's just talk to the Lord and thank Him for this time we have together. Ask Him to bless the reading of His Word. Lord, You're so good to us, so faithful. And I pray that this morning You would use Your Word to impact our hearts. If there's someone here that doesn't know for certain they're on their way to heaven, I pray that You would help them to see the importance of that decision, the consequence of that decision. Those of us that are already Christians, I pray that we would be determined uh, to let our lives shine, let our lives be used by you to make an impact. Uh, Lord, every, everywhere we go, every opportunity we have, and we ask this, Lord, in your precious name, amen. You know, if you walk around town asking people the question of, hey, how do you get to heaven? You're going to hear a lot of opinions, aren't you? You're going to hear a lot of different answers. Some people will tell you, well, you have to do this, or others will say, well, you have to believe that. But how do we know who's right? Who do we listen to? Well, if you could pick one person throughout history to ask that question to, who do you think that one person should be? I know who's number one on my list, probably the same person you thought about as well. Well, did you know there was a man in the Bible that had the privilege of sitting down with Jesus and asking him how to get to heaven? And we can find this amazing conversation in John chapter 3. So if you don't already have your Bibles open to John 3, go ahead and do that right now. And we're going to take a look at their conversation, this discussion that they had. That's what John 3 is, this discussion that Jesus had with this man by the name of Nicodemus. 
But I want us to take the time to hear Jesus' answer to life's most important question. John chapter 3, the Bible says that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man could do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Let me make sure you know who Nicodemus is. He was a very religious man. He was a very important man. In fact, he was one of the leaders of Israel. He had heard about Jesus. Of course, uh, living that little nation, it would have been hard not to have heard about Jesus. Uh, we're going to stay here at John 3, but I just want to back up to John chapter 2 just a little bit. In John chapter 2, Jesus starts his earthly ministry. He does his first uh, miracle uh, during his earthly ministry. And following that, he goes to Jerusalem during the Passover and literally drives out the money changers out of the temple. Well, the Pharisees sent a group of people to Jesus to ask him, what are you doing? Whose authority are you doing this? Give us a sign. And I find it fascinating. The very first miracle Jesus did, the very first contact he had with the Pharisees, they asked for a sign. Jesus gives them this one. All right, you want a sign? Here it is. You destroy this temple. In three days, I'll build it up. Of course, we know he was talking about the fact that in just a couple years, you're going to kill me. But guess what? I'm going to come back to life in three days. Isn't it fascinating that three, day, or three years before it even happened, Jesus already let them know about that? Now, it's very possible. We don't know for sure. Nicodemus may have been part of this group of Pharisees that went and talked to Jesus. Just a little bit earlier in John chapter 1, remember John the Baptist was baptizing. And a group of Pharisees went to John the Baptist and said, By whose authority are you doing this? Who are you? Are you the one? Remember? And John the Baptist said, Listen, let me go ahead and let you know right away, I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the promised one. But guess what, guys? He's coming. In fact, he's here. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, but he's here. Just a little later on, Jesus shows up at the, guard, at the, at, at the, uh, the river, uh, Jordan River. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? There he is, folks. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So all this has happened leading up to John chapter 3. And here we see Nicodemus showing up. Now, sometimes people say, well, he showed up at nighttime because he was afraid. I don't think so. I think that was probably the only time he could get in to see Jesus. Think about the crowds that were following him. Nicodemus was doing what he was supposed to do. As a religious leader, he came to find out, who are you? Why are you here? And he asked a question. He made the statement. He said, listen, it's obvious that you're a teacher come from God. No one could do what we've seen you do already if God wasn't with you. But Nicodemus is getting ready to find out something. He's getting ready to find out that Jesus wasn't just from God. He's getting ready to find out Jesus is God. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 3, turn back a couple pages. I want you to go back to John chapter 1. 
Here in John chapter 1, we are given a very clear description of exactly who Jesus is. The question they're asking, who are you? Why are you here? Jesus, we're given the answer in John chapter 1 verse 1. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word, or logos in Greek, is literally an actual name for Jesus before his birth. You know, Jesus' existence predates Bethlehem. In fact, folks, it even predates creation. In the beginning was the word. The word was already there present in the beginning. In fact, I love this. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. You know, it actually predates Genesis 1, 1's. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. See, Jesus is the living, eternal word of God. He is the Logos. Now, Jesus knew why Nicodemus had come to talk to him. Because Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. Just like he knows your heart this morning. And Jesus knew that Nicodemus' greatest need wasn't to have some answers wasn't to ask some questions. Jesus knew Nicodemus' greatest need was that he needed to be saved. See, Nicodemus needed to get right with God. Well, Jesus bypassed Nicodemus' questions and goes straight to the heart of the matter and tells Nicodemus, son, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. Literally, born from above is what it means. You see, folks, being religious isn't enough to get a person to heaven. It isn't. If it was, old Nicodemus would have had it made. Remember who he is. Uh, first of all, uh, we realize that he is a Jewish man. The Jewish people were God's chosen people. God used them in an amazing way uh, to reveal who God is to us. First of all, in the written word. The, the Bible, nearly all the writers of the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, were Jewish men. But not only did God use uh, the Jewish nation to reveal himself through his written word, God also used the Jewish people to reveal himself through the living word. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, he was a Jewish man. But not only do we see that Nicodemus was Jewish, we also need to see that he was a Pharisee. And remember, folks, they were as religious as they get. Remember what Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees? Jesus used them as an object lesson about how good you have to be if you really want to be able to go to heaven on your goodness, because it's impossible. See, if a religion had been enough for someone to get to heaven, Nicodemus would have had it made. But you need to understand, folks, doing good things can't earn you a place in heaven. Why, Brother Tim? Because your sin has already earned you a place in hell. See, folks, that's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's also why Jesus told Nicodemus right here, that except a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Born from above, it literally means, born, from, born again literally means that. Now, Nicodemus was struggling. Uh, this was more than what he expected. This is more than he could comprehend. And, and so Nicodemus asked a good question. Here was his question. How 
can a man be born when he is old? Wait a minute, Jesus, what are you telling me? Are you telling me i got to climb back inside my mama again? Of course, we know that's not what Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus. So Jesus went on to explain, except, look at verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? It's a good question. That's what Nicodemus was trying to figure out. You see, folks, each of us have already been born once. Before a baby is born, their mama carries them uh, in, their, in her stomach in a sack of water called amniotic fluid. Now, when that water breaks, everybody knows you better get ready, right, mamas? Because the baby's on the way. Well, Jesus, I believe here, is trying to help Nicodemus understand that he needed to be born twice. You see, he already had a physical birthday. He didn't have to climb back inside his mama to get born again, but he still needed a spiritual birthday. He did need to be born again spiritually. That's why Jesus said in verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's talking about two different births here, folks. Two different births. That Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what you see up here. That's what we see each other. This is flesh. This is physical. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, talking about physical birth. And that which is born of the spirit, notice capital S, is spirit. Marvel not. Nicodemus, don't be shocked that I'm trying to tell you, ye must be born again. Now, here's the question, why do we need two births? Why do we need to be born again? Well, that's a great question. In fact, it's one of those questions you want to make sure you get the right answer for. And to get the right answer, it's always good to go back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. You know, in Genesis, we see that God created Adam and Eve, put them in a beautiful garden, gave them complete access to the garden, told them to stay away from one tree. God provided for their needs. Just told them to leave that one tree alone. But if they disobeyed, it would bring death. And when they disobeyed, guess what happened? They died spiritually. They experienced death, just like God said they would. At that very moment, they experienced spiritual death. They were separated from God. By the way, folks, we also died spiritually through Adam. That's why we are actually born spiritually dead. That's why we need to be born again. But the Bible says that something else happened at that point too. Adam and Eve began to experience physical death. They began to die as well. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that or because all have sinned. And folks, because of Adam and Eve's sin, God killed an animal. Now, I personally believe it was a lamb. Uh, the Bible doesn't specifically state it, but I believe it was. And God used that lamb to provide Adam and Eve with temporary covering. First of all, that lamb's death provided clothes to cover Adam and Eve's bodies. Uh, God used that hide. Uh, to make them the first genuine leather outfit, all right? So they, God provided for their, uh, to cover their bodies. 
But see, that blood also was used to cover their sin. The Bible says without shedding the blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. Blood had to be shed. That's what God's Word says in order for forgiveness to take place. But there's a problem, folks. See, the blood of an animal can't take away our sin. Romans chapter 10, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. The death of those animals were important. But they were a picture. They were a picture of something that was yet to come. Now, pictures are important. If you don't believe me, uh, try to take grandma's pictures of her grandkids away. Uh, she'll hurt you, won't she? Now, those pictures do not replace the grandkids. Grandma, you still need to see the grandkids, right? But they're important. The pictures are very important. Well, the death of those animals, those hundreds and thousands of animals throughout the Old Testament, folks, they were, they were important pictures. They pictured, first of all, our need of salvation. Something had to happen to restore that broken relationship. Something had to happen to fix what had broken because of sin. But there's a second thing, the death of those animals pictured, the payment required. The payment required was death. But Jesus, God's perfect son, became God's perfect sacrifice. You see, Jesus was, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But let me remind you, folks, Jesus' death wasn't just a picture. Oh, no, it was much more than that. Remember, it was payment in full. What did Jesus say as he hung on the cross? It is what? Finished. The job was done. It wasn't just a down payment, folks. It was payment in full. Now, go back to John chapter 3. Remember what Jesus is doing here. He's explaining to Nicodemus that Nicodemus needed to be born again. In fact, just a few verses later, Jesus told Nicodemus this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved us so much that He was willing to send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And anyone willing to believe in Jesus, to put their trust in Him, they won't have to perish. They won't have to die for their sin. Instead, they can receive eternal life. That's God's promise, folks. And He gave us that promise because He loves us. But although God loves us, you need to understand that God is not going to let sin into heaven. He won't do it. Look at the mess we've made down here. You think God's going to let us make a mess of His house like we've made a mess of ours? Not going to happen, folks. You see, our sin must be taken care of before we can enter into heaven. And just like we see here in this passage, there are two different births, one physical and one spiritual. We also need to realize there are two deaths. One is physical and one is spiritual. And, and folks, I want you to know they are connected. They're intertwined. If you're only born once, there's bad news. You have to die twice. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, and death and hell were cast into like a fire. This is the what? Second death. We're talking about separation from God. So if you're only born once, 
The bad news is you have to die twice. But the good news is when you're born twice, when you're born again, when you put your trust in Jesus, you only have to die once. Isn't it wonderful to know that, that this world is the worst it's going to get for Christians? Man, when we die once, man, at that point, we're going to be in God's presence. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I've got bad news for you. This is the best it's going to get. And that's scary, isn't it? When you're born twice, you only have to die once. That's why Jesus was explained to Nicodemus that he must be born again. Now, Jesus could tell Nicodemus was struggling. He was having a hard time understanding. So here's what Jesus did. He brought up an event from Israel's past, from their history, to kind of help him see his need of salvation. You see, the, the nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. Over 400 years they'd been there. God used Moses to deliver them out of Egypt uh, through the wilderness and, and to the edge of the promised land. And as they were traveling, they ran into a lot of challenges, shall we say. They had a lot of difficulties. Now, God had provided for them over and over again. God had met their needs, but all they could seem to do is grumble and complain. It sounds kind of uh, familiar, doesn't it? That's where we end up a lot of times. No, don't take me wrong. This wasn't an easy journey. It was a battle. It was a trudge through the wilderness, but God had been so faithful just like he is with us. In Numbers chapter 21, we find the account Jesus is getting ready to share with Nicodemus to help him to understand his need to be born again. Listen to this verse. This is verse 5. Numbers chapter 21. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathed this light bread. Did anybody pick up a discrepancy here? Uh, uh, a, a hole in the story. We're dying out here. We don't have any bread. We don't have any water. And we are sick and tired of this light bread that you've given us every morning. That God has rained down from heaven for 40 years. We're tired of it. You know, I found out the exaggeration usually accompanies complaining. You notice that? That's what they're doing here. God had provided. God had provided manna for them as they were traveling. God had taken care of their clothing. Their clothing didn't even wear out. God had miraculously provided water through that rock. But they weren't satisfied with what God had given them, with what they had. And ouch, that hurts, doesn't it? Because that indictment fits us as well. Many times we're not satisfied with what God gives us. We want something else. Look at verse 6. And the people, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. The people, people cried out to Moses and said, Ask God to forgive us. Please have him take away these poisonous snakes. And God told Moses to do something very unusual. God told him to take some brass, to form it into a serpent, put it on a pole, stick it outside the, the, the encampment, and anyone willing to look at that pole that had been bitten by one of those snakes, they would survive, they would live. Now go back to John chapter 3. 
Verse 14, Jesus said this, And as Moses, just like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just like Moses lifted up that brass serpent on a pole, even so Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross. He was going to die for our sin. He was going to give himself for us. Now why would he do that? Look at verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, folks, remember what the people of Israel had to do to live. What they had to do, the ones that had been bitten. They had to look at what? The serpent on the pole. Anybody else other than me ever struggled with that analogy i've thought about that why in the world of all the things jesus could have used as an analogy to what he did when he died for us why would he pick a snake well then i got to thinking when jesus was hanging on that cross what was laid on him my sin your sin our sin was put on him our sin was placed on God's son God the father literally had to turn his back on his only begotten as he hung on that cross remember what Jesus said my God my God why hast thou forsaken me well the reason folks is because the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all God put our sin on his son each one of us here this morning have been bitten with the snake bite of sin. And we all deserve to spend eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell. And listen, folks, the only way to avoid the payment and the poison of our sin is to accept the antidote, the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross. Remember, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. Well, Jesus went on to explain, look at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen, God didn't send Jesus to condemn us. He sent Jesus to save us. Look at verse 18. He that believeth on him, talking about Jesus, is not condemned. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I love that verse, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says here, he that believeth on Jesus is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Let's take a look. Because he hath not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. See, folks, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He didn't have to. We are already condemned, folks. You need to understand this morning that we are not on trial to see if we're innocent or guilty. God is not trying to figure out who is good enough here to go to heaven. The verdict has already been handed down. The Bible says there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not a single one of us are good enough. Nicodemus wasn't good enough. I'm not good enough. And neither are you. 
we're all guilty. Like prisoners on death row just waiting for the verdict. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us there's a pardon. A pardon that's been offered, the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The question this morning is this. Friend, will you choose to accept the pardon? Will you choose to accept the pardon? Now, to accept this pardon, to be born again, you must choose to believe in Jesus by putting your trust in Him. And please realize that believing in Jesus is not the same as just believing about Him. If, if we had a chair up here, I know the pastor cleared them to, to make room for us. We take a lot of space. But if there's a chair up here, you know, I could believe in that chair. I could know a lot of information about that chair. Uh, I could know when and where it was made, what kind of material it was made out of. But there's only one way to actually believe in that chair. What would I have to do to demonstrate my belief in this chair? I'd need to sit down, right? Listen, folks, up to that point, it's just words. Just words. To demonstrate my trust in that chair, I've got to be willing to sit down. And listen, you can be here this morning, you can know about Jesus. You can believe about Jesus. You can know all kinds of information from Sunday school and church services. You can read your Bible. You can know all kinds of things about Jesus. But the only way to believe in Jesus is to put your trust in Him. To demonstrate that trust by accepting Him as your Savior. In fact, the final verse in John chapter 3, I love this verse. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? And he that believeth not the Son now shall not see life. Notice what to get instead, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Friend, you need to get to decide this morning. It's your choice. Just like God gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden, God is giving you a choice. You can either choose to accept God's forgiveness. Remember what this verse says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You choose. Are you going to receive God's forgiveness this morning? Or are you instead going to receive His wrath? And I want you to know it all depends on what you do with His Son. So how have you answered life's most important question this morning. Have you been born again? Has there been a time in your life when you've chosen to put your trust in Jesus as your Savior? Now, just like you can't live on earth without the first birth. Listen, folks, there are no exceptions. None of us were hatched. Uh, nobody was dropped off by UFOs, although some people you kind of have to wonder about a little bit. But, but folks, all of us were born. All of us got here through that birthing process. You can't live on earth without the birthing process. There are no exceptions. And listen, folks, you can't live in heaven without the second birth. There are no exceptions. What did Jesus say? Ye must be born again. Have you put your trust in Jesus as the one and only means of salvation, the only way to heaven? If you haven't, 
You need to understand this morning, your time may be running out. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 that it is appointed unto men once to die. You have an appointment. I have no idea when that appointment is. Listen, friend, neither do you. You have no clue. But you do have an appointment. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. That's talking about physical death. It's coming. But after this, the judgment. That's talking about spiritual death. It's talking about the second death. Folks, there's no way around it. But you need to make sure that you take care of your salvation. You make sure that you've received Jesus before it's too late. Jesus told Nicodemus, a very religious man, that he needed to be what? Born again. And friend, if you're here this morning and you are not 100% sure that you're on your way to heaven, Jesus is telling you right now that you need to be born again as well. And I want to encourage you, don't put it off. That second birth is just as much an event as the first one. There is, you know, I've heard people say, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm here in America. It doesn't work that way, folks. There was a point in time, you may not know exactly what the moment was, but there was a point in time when you were physically born. I want you to know that if you're one of God's kids, it's because there was a point in time when you were spiritually born. You were born again. You know, the Israelites that had been bitten, they had to make a choice. They could choose to do nothing, but what would happen? They would die. And listen, folks, the only way we can escape the wages of our sin in that awful place called hell is to look to Jesus, to receive that salvation that he is offering us, or to use the word Jesus used, to be born again. That is the only way. Remember, if you don't accept the second birth, you're already condemned to the second death. That's not a choice you have to make. It's already been made for you because we're all sinners. The question is, will you say yes to Jesus this morning? If you haven't already, will you let him save you? Will you let him forgive you? Will you let it move from just words? Will you put your trust in him and demonstrate that trust by accepting him as your Savior? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with no one looking around,